Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Good morning, good morning. Who's excited to be in church today? Come on. We are wrapping up a 3,000-week series called Hello Freedom. And somebody was talking about the other day, they're like, man, we're still, you know, in this thing. And I'm like, yeah, but... But think about it. If we're going to wear out a subject, it might as well be on our freedom in Christ. Amen? We might as well just talk about it. And so I want you to stay standing because we have a a theme verse, if you are new here, that we've been covering for this series from Galatians 5.1. And it says this. This is going to be a little trickery, 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 tricky, tricky. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, it is for freedom. If you don't know by now, It is for freedom, that's the blank there, that Christ has done what? Has set us free for freedom. And I love that there's no ulterior motives, there's no hidden agenda. He just wants us to be free. And then he says this, so stand firm. Why would he say that, by the way? Because he knew that our freedom would be contested. He knew that every day we wake up and take our head off of our pillow, we have a spiritual enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy the freedom that God is starting in your life. And that once we get a taste of that freedom, he wants us to stand firm in it. And the way we do that is on the the promises of God, on the word of God. So stand firm so that we never go back again to that yoke of slavery, that burden of slavery. And that's my prayer for us, that we would never go back. In fact, we're gonna pray. And the reason why we're gonna pray before we dive in is because We need God's spirit leading this thing, not me. Like if you know me, I mean the worst thing that we could do, like we barely know what we're doing around here. We are desperate for God's spirit to move. As we open up his word, we just need to hear from him. You don't need to hear from Colby. You don't need to hear from anyone else. We just are desperate for God's spirit. So let's pray before we get started. God, thank you that we get to come in here and just talk about the freedom that we have in you and to experience and taste a little more of what that freedom looks like in our life. God, And as we wrap this up today, we are are begging you, God, to move in our lives. God, we're begging to hear your voice. We're just begging, God, that you would allow us to have freedom in areas that maybe we've held on to far too long. And more than that, God, be able to live in the freedom that you have for us. We want that full life that you promised we could have, God. And so we know that this is, this is the way we do it, by diving into your word, by allowing you to, to speak to us, by hearing your spirit. And God, we know that it's a privilege to come and worship you and to, to lift up the name of Jesus in this place that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And we want that to happen so much and as much as possible on this side of eternity. God, so we pray for people right now who are far from you, who need that freedom as well that can only be found in Christ. We just pray for more people to come through these doors, God, that are searching for a a hole, searching to fill a void in their life that only you can fill. So God, today, let that be the day that people say yes to following you and understand this free gift of salvation that you offer us. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen, amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Ben, for leading us. Hey, we're going to start with a question. 
Um, and it's not going to be a rhetorical question, meaning you're going to have to answer it to the person on your right or your left, whichever one you choose. Now, I'm going to hang on. I'm going to I'm going to ask you the question. But before you answer it, I'm going to lay out some ground rules. All right. So here's the question. The question is this. What, in your opinion, is the single most attractive behavior that you can see or find in another human? What is, what's the single most attractive behavior, according to you, that you find in someone else? Now, here's the ground rules before you answer it. If you came with your spouse, you turn to them and tell them, not someone else. Because I know exactly how this works, all right? I know, I know the games. I know the tools of the enemy that there's, there's no other time like Sunday morning on your way to church that you fight more with your spouse. Am I right? And by the way, that is an unintended uh, compliment from hell when that happens because the enemy knows that you might just be experiencing a little more freedom for your family, a little more freedom with one another. So he wants to keep you fighting because I've done it like dozens of times. You're driving to church and you're doing the dad drive. Your kids are arguing in the back and, and you're already late and you're swatting at them and trying to just make contact, you know, with anything or your, your wife is, you know, she's still, she's still putting on makeup and you're late and you're like, oh, can we get going? Right. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Just me. Awesome. Way to go, guys. Thanks. Appreciate that. Helping a brother out. And then you get to church and you walk in and, and you're angry, but a greeter at the door says, hey, how are you doing? You're like, too blessed to be stressed, brother. You know, just kind of walking in and your wife's, you know, holding your hand. She's like, this guy's a jerk. And you're like, wait till we get home. All right. So I played that game. I'm just saying. I know how it works. And again, that's an unintended compliment from hell. The enemy doesn't want you getting more freedom for you and for your family. So answer this question to your spouse, all right? All that to say, now, if you didn't come with your spouse and you're single, ready to mingle, just look around. Maybe there's someone else in the room that you want to answer this question to. In fact, you know, right now you take a chance and go walk over there and just say, hey, I want to tell you, you know, the most you know, the best quality I see in, in, in somebody else. And I think you might have that. Come here, girl. And then give her a big old kiss. <laughs> Don't do that at all. Don't do that. We literally, is security here. We have protocol for that. So none of that. But take a minute right now and tell that person, tell your spouse, tell someone who's next to you, what is, in your opinion, like the, the, the best character quality that someone can have. Ready? Go ahead. Do it right now. Just turn to him. Let him know. Single most attractive quality. Go ahead and tell the, let them talk now if you haven't. Let them talk and tell you. All right. Hopefully you had enough time to at least get it out. I'm going to we got to get rolling. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you my top five. And the reason I say that is because they've changed over time. The, the more mature I get, um, the, the, the more things develop and what attracts me to people. And one would, would always be, and always has been a generous spirited person. Anybody else say that? I mean, just generosity. Generosity is hot. Is it not like ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be you know, uh, attractive for the right reasons, have a generous spirit. I don't think there's anything else, else like it. Another one I would say is kindness. You remember what kindness is? 
Good old-fashioned kindness, I know we've forgotten. I know it's 2021 and we're not supposed to be kind. But there is this fruit of the Spirit that I think is one of the most underrated fruits of the Spirit. Just having this, this kindness in the way we act towards one another. Another one for me would be humility. Anybody say humility? Yeah, just humble. Just somebody that that's, doesn't know it all, that doesn't walk around like they got it all figured out, that's, that's coachable, that's teachable. It's one of our staff values here, actually, that you just got to be humble. Another one for me would be passionate. Anybody say passionate? Passion or, or just a zeal for life. Like, I love that. I'm drawn to people that are just excited about life. People that wake up every day and just want to attack life and just get after it. People that, that are living with a purpose in mind and they're like, man, I'm just, I'm just running towards it. And they just want to live sacrificially towards that. But I'd say right now, in, in my phase of life with what I know about the world today, with what um, I know about me, with what I know about you know, what God's kingdom uh, and what he values, I would say the number one most attractive thing that I find in another human being is confidence. Anybody say confidence? A, a few of you did. The rest of you, this is an insecure church. We're going to have to do a message. Now, when I say confidence, I don't mean like arrogance. I, I don't mean, and I don't mean like Tiger Woods, red shirt on Sunday kind of confidence, although I do love that. I don't mean Michael Jordan, give me the rock. I'll take the shot. You know, I hit the buzzer beater. I love that kind of confidence. What I'm referring to is, is what I would call an otherworldly kind of confidence. In fact, I would call it a, a quiet confidence. Because how many of you know sometimes what looks like confidence in someone is insecurity masked as confidence. And the way they're masking their confidence is by getting loud. And just by being, you know, um, you know, just kind of this big personality. If you've ever been around somebody that's so insecure and they try to show you how confident they are by just getting louder and louder. Or, or there's the one upper guy. You know, the, the, you know that guy? The guy that always, you know, you could be halfway through a story and they're like, you know, they bust in. They start telling their m more awesome version of, of the story. And does anybody know the one upper guy or... or and it's always a guy. I've never met a one upper girl. Maybe there are some. But it seems to always be this, this guy. Um, and by the way, if you're like, I don't, I don't know that guy, well, then you have some things to think about today, okay? I just, you got some stuff to pray about. See God for, maybe self-awareness. I don't know. But when I say quiet confidence, let me tell you exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate at his trial, getting ready to be crucified, and Pontius Pilate going, hey, 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 would you just speak up? Would you just speak up? Would you just answer these questions? Don't you know I have the power to set you free or the power to kill you? Would you just speak up? And Jesus just says, no, I'm good. In fact, he says, you don't have any power to do anything unless the Father gives it to you. I'm, I'm good. And, and Pilate's going, man, just speak up. In fact, Pilate, the Bible tells us, doesn't find any fault with him. And he goes back out to the mob and says, I don't see any fault with this guy. And they're like, no, we want him, him crucified anyway. But Jesus just sits there in silence. He doesn't, doesn't, that's the kind of quiet confidence that I'm referring to. The confidence of, of a savior who would break endless rules during this time period, according to what a corrupt system of religion 
had created rules like who you can eat with, who you can hang with, who you can, who you can touch and not touch. Jesus would, would eat with people, people, other people wouldn't eat with, and he wouldn't just eat with them, he would endorse them, not endorse their behavior, but endorse them as image bearers of the Father. I mean, just he, he would break all the rules, that kind of confidence. Meet with people you shouldn't meet with, touch people that you shouldn't touch. And he was fully man, right? But he was also fully God, which means all he does is win. From, from the beginning of time to the end, he has victory in everything, but he never makes you feel as though he has to win. He always makes you feel like you're the big deal. That's the kind of confidence that I'm talking about. Just this unbelievable, this quiet confidence. Like, that's what I'll, I love. I want that kind of confidence. Not confidence to where you have to prove something. Not confidence to where you got to outdo someone else. I want the, the otherworldly kind of confidence but you can't have that confidence when you are not fully free. That confidence only comes from a place of being fully free and understanding the freedom that you, you have. So today, it's fitting that we wrap up this series on freedom with a master class in what freedom looks like. And we're going to learn what freedom is in its finest form, I believe. If you have your Bible, John chapter 13 that's where we're going to be. Go ahead and turn to it. While you're turning there, this is the, the story of the Passover meal. If you've ever heard that before or, or been around church, Passover was a time the Jews would come to Jerusalem to, to celebrate the day they were set free. So I think that's fitting, to celebrate the moment in history that they were freed out of, out of Egypt as slaves, and they were God's chosen people, and so they would come here to Jerusalem every year to memorialize it, to, to commemorate it, and remember it, and it's written about in all four Gospels of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in John, it's a little bit different than the others, and so if you're new to this whole Bible thing, this is roughly four days before Easter. I know you've heard of that. Easter is the pinnacle moment of our faith. Of course, it's the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And so this is what it says, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And he, he knew what was going to happen. In fact, he talked about it and let his disciples know from time to time, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going away. It says this, having loved his own who were in the world, I love this, he loved them until the end. Isn't that great? Like, I love that, that Jesus was as good at finishing as he was at starting. He's just a finisher. It's like, I, I'm going to see this thing through. His promises are yes and amen. And if he said it, it's going to happen. He's a finisher. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And what that's talking about is that Judas is the one that sold him out sold Jesus out for, for some money. The one that pointed to Jesus in the garden said, that's the guy, and so they led him away to be crucified. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this next verse because this tells us everything that we need to know about freedom. And it tells us everything that you and I need to know about how to walk in this kind of quiet confidence. Verse three, Jesus knew, somebody say knew. Here's what he knew. He knew the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God, and he knew that he was returning to God. Let's read it again. Jesus knew 
the Father had put all things under his power. So he knew some things about, about the Father. He knew some things that the Father had told him about his power and his authority, that he had come from God and he knew he was returning to God. And so after that, he does something in the next few minutes that is literally unheard of at this period in ancient history, that is literally otherworldly. He does something in the next few minutes that rewrites the ways that you and I act towards each other, the ways that we take care of one another. He does something that spits in the face of, of common sense and common practice. And how many of you know the gospel will always spit in the face of common sense? There's nothing sensical about the gospel message of Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, it is, it is intellectually offensive that Jesus would take on our sins and offer us this free gift of salvation just by calling on his name. I mean, there's nothing uh, that, that we can wrap our minds around. And Jesus is about to do something in this moment that's so crazy. And the reason he can do it is because of verse 3. It explains why Jesus with such quiet confidence, is about to shake the world. And is about to do something no one has ever done before in the history of the world. Look at verse 3 again. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. In other words, Jesus knew whose he was. He was confident of that. And he knew whose he was. He was the Son of the Father. He knew the Father had told him some things about who he was, about his, his power, about his authority, but he didn't just know whose he was, he knew who he was. Because he understood whose he was, I know this sounds a little like Dr. Seuss, because he understand whose he was, he knew who he was, but then it says this, he knew where he'd come from. And he knew he'd come from God, and he knew where he was going, he knew he was returning back to God. Those four things right there, I want you to write them down. This, these are four things to freedom. Four things that freedom requires us knowing. First of all, whose you are. You gotta know whose you are. Therefore, it says he knew who he was. You gotta know who you are, who your identity is. You gotta have complete confidence in that. You gotta know where you came from. And you also have to know where you are are going. And when you know those four things well with a deep-seated conviction in your life, guess what you get to do? You get to shake the world. You get to make a difference in the world. You get to do the things that we're going to see Jesus is about to do. And can I remind somebody today whose you are if you don't know it? The Bible says this, that before the foundations of the earth, the Bible says that, that the moment anyone is conceived that God has a plan for your life. The Bible says that, that, he, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God's word tells us that he knows every single hair on your head, that that's whose you are. You belong to God. The moment anyone is conceived of any race, color, creed, nation, continent, like you, you are bearing the image of God. So you need to know whose you are. And I know some of you are thinking, well, then why is there so much evil in the world and so many evil people in the world? You can't call them image bearers. Oh, yes, you can. Because they were born that way. Now, it's not until the second birth that you go from image bearer to son or daughter of Christ. But you're born as an image bearer. But after the, the second birth, which, which just means after you decide you're going to follow Jesus and you've allowed him to radically change your heart and the Holy Spirit come in and live inside of you, the Bible says now what you get to do, it's in Ephesians 1, is you move to son or daughter. 
that you move to being holy and blameless. You are sealed by the, the Holy Spirit. You are adopted with the full rights and privileges of one of God's children. God says that you are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's awesome. And that's not some weird churchy kind of language. That's a statement of authority. That's a statement of power. That's a statement of saying you and I, because of what Jesus has done for us, we're not just in Christ, we are co-heirs with Christ. That we have the same, same authority and power to do what we are about to read about. That's why I need to, to tell you that. Because this isn't, wow, this isn't just for Jesus to do. This is for all of us. This is saying we can do this because when we think about authority, oftentimes we think about how we can exercise our authority over people and lord it over people. But Jesus never came to do that. In fact, the way that Jesus exercised his authority was through serving others, not lording it over them. In fact, that's why he told us in another teaching, he said, the greatest of, uh, among you will be a servant. And so Jesus knew whose he was. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from, but he also knew where he was going. And can I quickly talk about that? Because we do a terrible job at reminding you about the hope that we have in Christ. That not just we're to fix our eyes on the, the temporary things, but we're to fix our eyes on, on what's to come, on eternity. That the Bible says that one day, like, I'll have a new body. Like this, it won't be, it won't be this old body. It won't, that one day there's going to be no sin. I'm not going to have to deal with sin. I'm not going to have to deal with temptation. One day there's going to be no more mourning or weeping or sadness or death. There's no going to be no bickering or backbiting or slander or left or right. Come on, somebody. Amen for that. No more mandates. No more overreach. No more anything like that. One day, that's what we are looking forward to. We're going to have complete and total freedom. Freedom. And when that starts to happen... Then we can live as Jesus lived in this quiet confidence. We can start doing some of the things that Jesus did, all because he knew whose he was, and he understood who he was. He knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. Those are just quick four things that you need to have in order to, to know freedom. Look what he says he does after that. Because he knew this stuff, verse 4, he gets up from the meal, he takes off his outer clothing, which, by the way, is unheard of. This is a rabbinical no-no. You didn't see any rabbis taking off their outer garments in public. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I read one theologian this week that said, this is the only recorded and the only known time in history in this ancient world that a superior would wash the feet of a subordinate. You just never saw it. This was unheard of because during this time, this was the lowliest task you could take on, was to be the person to, to wash feet of, of the guests. And now here, here we have, guess who? The creator of feet, washing feet. Like How amazing is that? Here we have Jesus, right, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, take off his, his outer garment, wrap a towel around him, gets down on his knees and starts washing the feet of his disciples. And it wasn't just the fact that he was washing feet. It was whose feet he was washing. You remember who the disciples are? Like if you haven't been to church, let me just remind you, I love, 
I love that Jesus chose these guys. He chose these guys because they're just like me. He chose these guys because they're just like you. So I can just imagine him going over to, to Thomas's feet. And Thomas, if you know anything about, about Thomas, he was the doubter. He was the skeptic. And I imagine him getting down on his hands and his, his knees, and he starts washing the feet of Thomas. And for some of you, you can relate to this because that's where you are today. You're a doubter. You're a skeptic. That's the place that you are in. And sure, you come through these doors, you know, because something is attractive about it. Maybe it's kind of keeping you around. That's what Thomas, for three years, Thomas followed Jesus. There was just something that kept him coming around. And so he sits down and he washes Thomas's feet. But I, can't, I can just see behind this, you know, Thomas, you know, had this hard time believing. Even later on, after Jesus came back, you know, from from the grave, you know, Thomas was still doubting, saying, I need you to show me your hands and your, and your side and show me what, what happened to you. And for some of us, this is just hard to, to maybe believe. The whole that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life thing, you just can't seem to get your mind around that. And, and I understand that. I, I get that that's difficult to buy into, especially in the world we live in. But who cares if I get it? You know who gets it? God gets it. And what does he still do? And Jesus, he kneels down and he washes the feet of the skeptic, of the doubter. And you know what the message is for us today? Doubters welcome. Skeptics welcome. Like you can bring your questions, you can bring your doubts into this, this house. The message for us today is just to keep coming back. Keep following Keep going after it. Keep, keep searching. Keep you know, having those, those questions. One day Jesus is going to get a hold of your, your heart. Jesus knew Thomas was a doubter. And he didn't pull the towel away and say, ah, you're not ready for this yet. He washed his feet. And then he went down the line. And I can imagine it's, it's James and John next. Remember those guys? Those guys had a nickname, in fact. Their nickname was Sons of Thunder. Come on, that's an awesome nickname. Like, this doesn't sound like a tag team wrestling, you know, Sons of Thunder, tag out, let's go. Like, Sons of Thunder, in order to get that name, right, they had to be some pretty intense guys to be called Sons of Thunder. Like, just going after it, and that's kind of, you know, my boys, like my boys are the Sons of Thunder, just always fighting, always competitive. You know, maybe there's some pride there, maybe there's some comparison there, and I think that's what they represent for us. This comparison, this, this kind of pride, always, always competing about something like, like who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like, I don't know if you, you know this, but once they had their mama, and if you're a coach here, don't you hate this, coaches, when parents come up to you and tell you how to do your job? Once they had their mama go to Jesus and say, hey, can my boys sit at the right hand and the left hand of the throne room, of the throne? Like, can my boys do that? Right, so there's this, there's this kind of spirit of comparison and competitive nature and probably, you know, great hearts in James and John, but they're the guys that tried to be confident by just cranking up the volume. They're the guys that try to be confident by showing how loud they, they are. After all, that's what thunder is. It's just a bunch of noise. And so they're just trying to be loud, and we know the ending of their story. They end up as martyrs. They end up as great men of God, saints of God, giving their life for the cause of Christ but they're just a little bit rough around the edges. Can anybody relate to that? Got some issues, just a little rough around the edges. That's what they represent. And Jesus, it's his pleasure to kneel down and to wash the feet 
of James and John and restore dignity, dignity to them before dinner. And we all walk in here. And if we can just be honest, I know this is church, but let's just be honest, as mixed bags of emotions, wanting to be the guy or wanting to be the girl or wanting to be, you know, the thing. And we all walk in here, you know, maybe really loving Jesus on one hand, but also really loving ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? And a lot of times those two conflict. Most of the time they do. But he knows how much this type of moment for James and John, where when he restores dignity, when they least deserve it, he knows that, that doing that in that moment can change lives, can change hearts. And so he kneels down, and then, then we move on to the next guy. And this is where it starts to get sketchy. Move on to Matthew. Because if you know Matthew's story, Matthew represents past failures. Matthew represents past sins and regrets. And I don't know about you, but I got a long list of those. I can definitely relate to Matthew. Matthew could have easily allowed his, his failures and his regrets to, to dictate and to determine, determine whether or not he would continue to have this confidence in Christ. But Jesus gets down and starts to wash the feet of Matthew. Now, if you remember Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector, meaning he sold his own people out. In fact, we kicked off this series talking about Matthew. He's a guy that's betraying his own kinds of people, and Jesus calls him out and says, I want you to, to follow me. Come follow me. And even in that moment, even in that sin, that's what grace does, by the way. It restores dignity before dignity is deserved. That's what the gospel does. The gospel restores our dignity to us and offers us this free gift before we even deserve it. And at the height of his rebellion, collecting taxes, Jesus says, Matthew, Come and follow me. And so Jesus is washing the feet of, of Matthew. And I think what he's saying to us is, your past failures, your regrets, like, I can wash those white as snow for you. There's nothing that you can do, nothing that you've, you've done, right? I, I want to take that sin and that shame, and I want to cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. I want to remove it as far as the east is from the west. It'll be remembered no more. That's the type of savior we have. That's the quiet confidence he can walk in. And for us, if we have that power and authority, he says, you can extend that same grace to people who have hurt you. People that, that are hard to forgive because of what they've done in your past. People that have betrayed you. That's what happens when you're fully free. You can look past that and you can simply just serve them. And just wash their feet. And then he washes the feet of Peter. And so if Matthew represents past sin, Peter represents future sin. Because Peter's greatest sin is still 24 hours away. Peter's greatest sin where he denies Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells him about it this same night. He says, hey, you're going to deny me as Lord. And Peter pushes back, says, no, I'll never do that. And Jesus says, actually, you're going to do it three times. You know, in less than 24 hours from now. And because Jesus, uh, he's quiet and confident, right, in, in, in who he is, he can sit down and wash the feet of someone who has yet to even commit their greatest sin. And the word for us is there are some of you, the greatest sin that you'll commit against God or commit against others won't be pre-Christ, it will be post-Christ. It'll be after You've been saved after you've been a follower of Jesus. And some of you, that's the weight that you carry today in the room or, or even watching online. 
that you're carrying that, that shame and that guilt with you. And, and can I tell you something? While he's not excusing that behavior, while he's not you know, happy about the decision that you made, he understands it. He understands what's broken inside of you to get us to that, that place. And he's still willing to get down on his fees, feet and wash, get on his knees and wash your feet because you bear his image. He's always re- willing to restore dignity. Of course, the one I can't fully talk about or explain theologically because it still messes with me is, is Judas. Judas, when we read it, the Bible says, knowing that Satan had already entered into Judas. Knowing that Satan had already you know, gotten a hold of him so he would, he would be the final catalyst to putting Jesus on the cross. And Judas for us represents our opposition. It represents you know, opposition with people or opposition with, with spiritual enemies or warfare. And Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and starts washing the feet of someone who's not even on his team. Someone who knows he's gonna, he's gonna betray him. And as I picture him doing that, my mind goes back to his, his countercultural teaching where he says, you know what, you, you've heard it said, you know, love your, you know, or, or hate your enemies, love your, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. He says, yeah, but I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And right here, he just told them that maybe a few months ago, but now he's showing them that in practice by getting down and washing the feet of Judas. He starts to clean his feet. Don't miss this. Jesus washes Judas too. He's washing Judas's feet. You want to talk about quiet confidence. Knowing that's the guy that's going to put you on the cross. Colby, I don't know if that's confidence. That's, that sounds like ignorance. Colby, I don't know if I can wrap my, my head around that. Listen to me. I'm glad if you're intellectually offended by this. I am too. But this pushes me to go, it's possible. I can choose to walk like this. I can choose to live this way with people who aren't on my same team, who people that don't see eye to eye with me, who people who, who act differently or talk differently or believe differently or vote differently. Like I can choose to live this way. I don't have to fight with people who are different than me because my fight's not with them anyway. You know that the fight is with, with principalities of this dark world. The fight is not with flesh and blood. And so Jesus knew that that Satan had already entered into Judas In fact, like if there's ever a time that the American church needs to hear this, it's now. I'm prophesying in Jesus' name that we don't need to be a people that are fighting against one another anymore, like to get our way. That's not how we're to fight. And what the world needs to see from us, regardless if we agree or not, if we act the same or believe the same, is they need to see people who are willing just to get down on their hands and knees and wash the feet of others. I don't care what you believe. I'm called to, to wash your feet. It'd be my honor to restore dignity back to you before you even deserve it in Jesus' name. That's what people of the towel do. And I'm just praying that this would be, we'd be a church of people of the towel. And we would, we would get on our hands and knees and fight for the people that God so loved, not fight against the people that God so loved. Are you with me? So that's what he does with Judas. And so it says this, it goes on to say in, in, in verse 6, because sometimes, you know, we just need to engage in the fight a little bit differently than we do. 
And sometimes we just need to learn from Jesus and allow some dignity to be taken from us in order that we can show dignity to others. Let's, let's take some losses temporarily, knowing that ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we win. Amen? Like, we win. We know that, but for a season, let's show some ridiculous grace to the world around us. And when Jesus does it, by the way, he doesn't just say, hey, check me out. Look whose feet I can wash. You know, I can wash Jesus' feet. No, this is what he says. He says, I want you to go do the same for others. Look at it, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And we already know that he is. Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize. Now, you don't have a clue now what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. And I think sometimes this is why we get so offended. Because we can't comprehend what God has called us to do. Because according to the, the culture of the world we live in, this, this goes completely against what we know to be true and how to engage one another and how we're to, to stand up and how we're to fight one another. This is why we get so offended. But he says, Peter, I'm washing your feet. And I know you can't wrap your mind around it. I know you can't understand it. I know you've never seen this before. Think about that. You've never seen anyone who's a superior wash the feet of someone who's a subordinate, but I'm gonna wash your feet. Even knowing that 24 hours from now, you're gonna deny me three times, I'm gonna wash your feet because you need to understand the power of what I'm doing. And someday he will, by the way, because if I read this right, Peter himself is faced once again with the opportunity to, to deny Jesus, but he doesn't. And he gets crucified and he says, don't crucify me like my Lord, crucify me upside down. And so Jesus says, I know you don't realize this right now, what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. And Peter does later on. Verse eight, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, okay, but unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, grace is the only plan for salvation. Allowing and receiving the grace that Jesus extends to you, there is no plan B for it. People, this is, this is it. Jesus washing you when you least deserve it. Jesus restoring dignity back to us when we least des deserve it. There is no plan B for it. It's either he washes your feet or he doesn't. Either he cleanses you, either he removes your sin through a sacrifice and you allow him to do that or he doesn't. He doesn't have a plan B for it. No, Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, okay, but unless I do, you don't have a part with me. And something happens and Peter finally gets it. And this is why I love Peter because he's just, he's a hot mess. He's all over the map. And he says, and Lord, not just my feet. Come on, all of me. And I'm just praying somebody would have an experience today where you'd be like, well, not just my feet then, God. Like all of me, cleanse everything, every part of me that needs to find freedom in you, just all of me, my, my head, my, my, my body, everything from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, God, all of me, my head as well, I'm all in. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you says, for he, he knew who was going to betray him, and that this is why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And then he said to us, Elevate Church, 
do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. He says, I've done this as an example for you, that you should do what I've done. And can I tell you, you will never walk in in complete and full freedom just by getting your feet washed. At some point, you have to become a foot washer. I really believe that's the final manifestation of what freedom looks like in your life. Where you're willing, no matter what someone's done to you, no matter how they betrayed you, no matter if you see eye to eye with them, no matter if you believe the same or think the same or act the same, no matter what, you are just willing to show ridiculous service to the world around you and get down and wash their feet. Like the highest form of freedom is not that you've just been delivered from something, which you have, but it's that you'd be delivered for something, for purpose. Like it's beautiful when God frees us. It's beautiful when God changes us from the inside out. In fact, in a little bit today, after the next uh, worship service, we're gonna experience people demonstrating what God has done in their life through baptism. And I'd love for you to be a part of that. Like if you've never crossed the line of faith, you know, maybe today is the day you do that, but if you've never gone public with that decision, that's what baptism's about. And so I'd love for you to be a part of that today. If you've never taken that step to say, I'm with Jesus, I'm on, I'm on team Jesus. That's what baptism means. And we have everything you need if you haven't taken that step yet and you can get more information on that. But maybe today's the day you decide to do that. But we are never fully free. And it never shows up in our life until we extend that freedom to others by serving them. That's what we're called to be, radical dispensers of grace to the world around us. Here's here's my prayer. Here's a church that changes a community, a church that changes a city, is a church that would say, God, put a talent in my hand and put people with dirty feet in my path. Put people with dirty feet in my path. Would you bow your heads? In fact, let's stand to our feet right now. We're gonna worship through this. And just asking God once again, just to meet us in this moment. And I don't know what, what it is that you're searching God for today. Maybe, maybe he needs to wash some areas of your life that you thought were too dirty or too far gone for him to want to touch. And can I just remind you whose you are today? That from the moment you were conceived, God knew you and had a plan for you. Maybe you need to be reminded who you are, to have your identity firmly cemented in Christ and who he says you are. God, I pray right now as we begin to, to worship you, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would allow us in in a few minutes that we have, God, just to fix our attention on you. And if nothing else, just say, God, what do you want to say to me? Just speak to me. Right now, meet with me, God. Wash me, make me new. Help me to receive that free gift that you offer and made available to me. God, help me to, I don't even have to understand it, but to believe it by faith put my trust in you. 
Or God, maybe my prayer is today, here I am, use me. God, help me to be a radical dispenser of your grace to the world around me. I've been in some relationships that are broken. God, I need those to be mended. And I I believe the way you're calling me to mend that broken relationship is through serving and, and washing the feet of that person and showing them grace even before I believe they deserve it because that's what you did for me. So help us to hear from you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.